Now, KMOX at your service. Welcome to the Helitech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show. Now, here's your host, Scott Mosby on KMOX. All right, good Saturday, good morning, good three-day weekend. It's the Labor Day three-day holiday for some of us. And those that are not, you know who you are. Yes, indeed, this is the Helitech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show. Scott Mosby at the helm. We are going on a two-hour voyage today that takes us from 11 o'clock till 1 o'clock. The 1 o'clock, Rick Edelman comes up. And then all sorts of things all afternoon on University of KMOX. Scott Mosby here at your service. Ten phone lines, home improvement, your house, your safety, your health, your comfort, that of your family, as well as maintaining and protecting the investment. You know that big pile of money that you put into your house called home? Yeah, this is pretty important stuff that we do here. I'm going to get down to some of the real basics of shelter. Why? What? What it is that you seek from your home, what it is you expect, and how to go about uh, uh, choosing contractors and interviewing them. Because uh, we at Mosby Building Arts do that all the time. We are a design-build company. We are, at our essence, a general contracting company. And with that, we subcontract as little as we can and we self-perform as much as we can. If you've ever seen the game of telephone uh, where you whisper at the end of a long line of chairs, five or six people, and by the time the message starts at chair number one with the originator, you get down to chair number five or six and the message does not resemble in any way what started. Well, that's why we do things all in one company, in one team. Uh, If you will, it's a forced connection, forced communication uh, by proximity as well as uh, the designer voice as part of it, as well as the constructor's voice, as well as the client, the supplier, engineer, uh, the code enforcement authority. Everybody is involved in that conversation because they've all got a vested interest in doing it right and doing it wrong. So anyway, that's kind of the big picture of where we're going. That's number one. Topic number two, it's September. Yeah. You know, remember August, September, October, November. We're sneaking up on the holidays. Yeah, yeah. I I promise. December's just around the corner. You know, that thing called, uh, you know, Thanksgiving sneaks up. All those turkeys flee, you know, seek to, you know, hide their feathers from uh, your dinner table, mine perhaps. Yeah. We can talk about that. If you've got questions, bring them. If you don't have questions, make one up. Phone lines, 314-436-7900, toll-free, 800-925-1120. My name is Scott Mosby. If you haven't figured this out yet, I come down here every Saturday to KMOX, and I have a good time. Hopefully, you go along for the ride. 50,000 watts, blowtorch of KMOX, been around since 1925. Yeah, we invented talk radio right here in the Lou, right here in St. Louis on KMOX. No pressure there, huh? Yeah, we're it. Uh, So we're trying to carry that flag, that responsibility, 
who is, what is, how is, why is KMOX. So we're here serving you. Phone lines for your questions, 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. Think about this, uh, anything related to your home, uh, I will do my best. Uh, I have about 40-plus years of trade experience, contracting experience, design, coloration, the science of color, uh, the um, really ergonomics of design. So I'm a great generalist. You know, truth be known, I don't know a whole lot about much, but I know a little bit about a lot. And when we outstrip my skills, I just turn to the specialist and say, hey, I need an electrician's help here. Plumber, bail me out, need some help. Uh, All those things that really put us together. So you may be Today's answer, you may be today's question. I may come up with a question. You may come up with an answer. So we'll talk about all of that right here, the family of KMOX, of which you are so much a part of. 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. Let's get fired up. You know, I'm, I'm ready to go. It's a three-day weekend, holiday. Some of us get uh, Monday off. Some of us don't. Hey, what's not to love? It's here on KMOX. Let's fire up and get started with Dan. Hey, Dan, good morning. Welcome to KMOX, my buddy. How can I help? Hi there. Thanks yes, for taking my call. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I've redone our basement. Um, everything's down. All I have is the concrete floor. The walls are all done. Okay. And I'm putting a few cabinets down there. And I didn't know, if, should I put the floor down first or the cabinets? I thought the floor, my wife said the cabinets. Uh, floor typically. Uh, what kind of a floor is it? There's a little bit. This is a, you know, cart horse, horse cart question too, Dan. What kind of floor? So uh, it's going to be what, we're, what we've kind of decided on is a, an engineered wood. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, so that's what it would be going down. Is it a floating floor or is it a glue down adhered to the floor? So that part we haven't decided. That according to the packaging on the, you can go either way. Yeah, okay. So <laughs> Okay, here you go. That That is the $64 question. If it's a floating floor and the floor moves, then there's no floor to connect the cabinets to down on the bottom. If it is an adhered floor, it'll move subtly, you know, just a little bit expansion, contraction, engineered wood is, you know, it's plywood. That's a that's a good bomb-proof basement floor. I like, I like where you're going here. Uh, if you use, uh, ideally, the answer uh, at Mosby is almost always floor goes first because if you drop the gallon of milk or you spill something and the water gets down, especially on engineered or a laminate type floor, you can't clean that water up or you can't clean the milk up or the juice or whatever the spill was. Uh, so uh, 80% of the time, my answer is floor first, no pool, puddle, pond, reservoir for liquids to gather in, number one. However, when you have a floating floor and the floor moves as much as it does where, you know, it's really floating on a piece of foam or some sort of a slip cushion, uh, then you still, in my opinion, put the cabinets down first, but then you adhere them more to the walls. Like 80% of your securing is on the wall, very little to the floor. You do your shimming as necessary, but you may need to glue those shims or screw those shims to the bottom of the cabinet and then put a toe kick on it. So it really affects what kind of cabinets I would install, whether I put an over-the-top or a capping toe kick. You, you following where I'm going with all this, Dan? I do. Right I on. do. Right on. Uh, so, again, if the, if the floor moves a ton, uh, then 80% of your securing happens on the wall only. Um, if not, then you can, you know, shim and screw down to the floor joist than the plywood, but, you know, or concrete in your case, but not likely 
in a basement. Sure. So if, if we put the floor down and oh. then put the cabinets on top of it, and we do do the floating type, uh, if we put a you know, like a, a granite-type countertop over a couple cabinets, would that keep the floor from moving and cause problems? No. No, the floor will move. The floor will move most definitely. It will. Mother Nature will overcome uh, with your granite floor. Um, yeah, if you're going to do a granite floor, I probably, here's the 20%. If you're going to do a granite countertop on float on your cabinets, I would then secure the cabinets to the floor and put the floating floor around it. Cabinets first. Okay. Because the break, you know, think of it. It's it's a sheet of glass. That's all granite is. It's a very, you know, it's a thick and strong, but it's a sheet of glass. And if it bends and gets under stress, it will crack and break. So under that circumstance, I would then anchor the cabinets down to the floor, shim them, as my dad says, blue screwed and tattooed, uh, secure them to the wall, make sure those cabinets are bomb proof, rock solid. Then trim your floor around it. And again, that toe kick. I like to put that toe kick on because that can actually be one of the expansion joints without having that funky trim or quarter round on the toe kick of your cabinets. Gotcha. Perfect. Thanks for your help. Okay, Dan. Thanks. Good question. Bye now. Welcome back to the Helitech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show. Now, once again, here's your host, Scott Mosby on KMOX. Oh, yeah, like a bad penny, you just can't get rid of me. Home Improvement, two more hours. This is KMOX and the voice of St. Louis. So what else is there to share? Well, maybe your question, your topic. What is on your mind? What is on your comfort or off? little hot, humid, close? Midwest? <laughs> yeah, buddy. Uh, let's go to the phone line, see what's cooking here and see what's happening. Let's go with Carol. Hey, Carol, good morning. Welcome to KMOX. How may I help? Hello, Scott. I have a new finish deck, and uh, what can I put, what kind of a finish can, should I put on a new cedar deck floor? Ooh, uh, how old is your cedar deck? Brand new. Oh, Nothing. 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 Nope. Wait. Uh-huh. Wait one season. I'm going to beg you, ask you to wait until the spring. Okay. Sounds a little weird, doesn't it? Yeah, I know. I'll be ready to fix it right away. <laughs> yeah, I know. That scrubby Dutch in all of us uh, lives on for sure. There is a, a finish, a, a mill glaze, M-I-L-L space G-L-A-Z-E. When we run lumber and and surface them or run them through a high-speed planer to make it from a rough, fuzzy board to a nice, smooth one, in order yeah. to lubricate that, there's a lubricant that goes on those blades. And when those boards come out of that planer, there's also a mill glaze that is kind of heated up by those blades and sometimes they actually spray kind of a product on there to hold the moisture into the board so it dries more slowly, evenly and doesn't warp. So there's actually a product or potential that, you know, the uh, crudely spoken, the pores of the wood are kind of not receptive to the stain and the sealer yet. Uh, so, oh, okay, so that's on there now. Uh, the new, yep, yep. The new, that's part oh, of what okay. makes it so pretty. And, and now I'm, I warn oh. you here, there's a downside to my comment. Uh, by next spring, part of that cedar is going to turn gray. <laughs> you know, because Mother Nature, ultraviolet, the very well, thing. Does it stay gray? Does uh, it stay gray? 
yeah, kind of. A cedar untreated will gray out uh, to that color. Um, but the problem with, uh, and the reason I do like staining the cedar or sealing it, is because the more sunlight one end gets versus the other, one side may stay red and the other one turns gray. So you will, you'll need to kind of strip it, clean that deck in the spring next year, wait until the rain's over so it kind of dries out. Uh, and, and then, you know, your, your ceiling, you can sear it, seal it clear. It will then still continue to turn gray or there's a pigment or a color. You can pick a color. And that's why cedar decks most often have colors because of the variation between part of it being gray, part of it being red, and part of it being right in the middle. Well, you said the word stripping. That's got me nervous. What well, do I have to do to strip it? Oh, it's just clean it. Wash it really good like you would a car. Oh. The the stripping tends to be, if people go out there, you strip it if the um, sap from the oak trees or the stain from the oak leaves, and you've got to keep those oak leaves off of there because the tannins from those leaves, the Native Americans made pigments out of that stuff. So, you know, you need to kind of... And if you get leaf patterns or sap, then you need a deck stripper. You need to really scrubby dutch that thing clean. I don't spring. think I'll have that. I'm pretty well out in the open here, you know. Oh, you're yeah. good then. So when I do go to the finish... What about using a transparent as the first time around? Is that a good choice? Uh, it's not a bad choice. It, 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 you'll know if you're out in the open like that and your deck is pretty much all one color, you're a perfect applicant for that clear finish. Okay, because okay. I, like like I like the look of wood, you know, the... Well, it, it will it will gray out you even if you it gray, gray out on you even if you clear coat finish it because Mother Nature wins all always. She, uh-huh. She'll gray you out. But the cedar is a good choice, isn't it, for the deck floor? Oh, yeah. I, I like cedar a lot. I like, I mean, still, uh, you know, cedar has a limited life, uh, but it's a nice, soft, um, you know, approachable. It's good for touching and walking on. Um, mm-hmm. It's way better than treated lumber. Um, so I, I like it, but it, you know, it, it does take a little more care than some of the other bomb-proof uh, finishes. Okay, well, thank you so much. Yeah, Carol. By the way, I, I, you know, have one for me, whether it's coffee or a beer. Okay. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye now. I, I just, I, you know, I like, to, I like outdoors. You know what I mean? I'm a tradesman at heart, so, you know, I, I'm that guy. And, you know, I, I like coffee. And some of that is because I started as a carpet. Well, I started up as picking trash up, uh, but I, I went through part of my career as a carpenter. And, you know, there's a coffee break. Everybody sits down and has a coffee break or a break. Well, you know, I was programmed to drink coffee. You know, those of you that were in the service smoked cigarettes and you had coffee and, you know, the job sites had, you know, coffee breaks or breaks. So anyway, just part of the Part of the wiring. Uh, if you're planning a project this time before the holidays coming, I'm not kidding you. Now is the time to get started because here's kind of the math on that deal. If you don't get started right away, about time to start the project, you contact somebody, you just basically designed the design and selection time right out of the project, which takes some time. 
you know, pros like me or us, we do this stuff all the time. So it's not hard making select. But you who are entering these new product uh, arena, it's like, you know, there's time to process what it is. And that's why getting professional help to make those selections, we very seldom, we go along with our clients to make decisions. We very seldom change their mind, but we do bring the confidence like, you know, what you're thinking is going to look beautiful. But, you know, that one piece over there might, you might consider that a little lighter or darker. That, that's how it works. Anyway, get started now because the holidays will be on us lickety-split whether you think so or not. Uh, let's see what's cooking here with Mr. Jeff. Hey, Jeff, Scott Mosby, Camelex, how can I help? Hey, Scott, how are you? Fantastic. I, I, uh, I've done a fair amount of remodeling myself, but I, I owned a house in Jacksonville, Florida that was probably about 75 years old, and it had, it had a mortar bed type of tiled shower. And uh, when I moved in, that thing was just, it looked like it had never been cleaned. And by, but by the time I had hit it with chemicals for a few days, uh, it was like new. The, uh, the the grout came back to being bright white. And, I mean, it, it, it didn't have a thing wrong with it. And But now it doesn't matter what you do to a shower. They're always recommending that you use this grout sealer. And my experience is, is that that ends up yellowing your grout, and you can never get it to come back the way it was uh, when it was new. Um, I just wanted your comments on that. Oh, I think you're accurate with that, Jeff. Uh, but but keep in mind, uh, a lot of the formulations and some of the nasty solvents and additives that we used to mix stuff up with, some of the additives into the cement, uh, mud set tile, that shower that you're describing, 60 years old, you know, that was four inches of cement, sand and cement. And, you know, the lime in that tends to, uh, you know, kill most of the, of the, you know, the mold and the mildew. So it gets wet. Uh, but th- when you bleached it like that, you bleached a fairly open, porous grout. But that grout probably was more stout than today's. Today, you know, back then, those guys literally mixed Portland cement, color, lime. You know, they mixed it like a bricklayer does on site for mortar. Uh, we don't do that anymore. We dump it out of a bag, we put a little water into it, and we, you know, whip it up with a big mixer. But we don't really know what's in that grout. So I, I agree with what you're saying. I'm not a big fan of um, sealing grout unless you make the poor mistake of a white grout to be on a floor, you know, like for cooking and kitchens. You know, then my best choice would be an epoxy grout, um, you know, whether it's a water-based or a solvent-based. Either way, an epoxy grout that is less porous. But if it's regular grout, you know, you're kind of in it. It's the you're already kind of sunk because whether you seal it or not, it's going to stain anyway. How's that for a long answer to a short question? <laughs> yeah. Well, can you still hear me? Am I still on? Say again, please. Oh, okay. I, I'm still on. I, yeah. I just wanted to make the comment that uh, you know now you can. I mean, there was a time when you were putting the tile right onto drywall. I mean, the, the builders were. Oh my! Uh, yes. When they when they kind of changed over, which is was my assumption. That's when they started saying, "Well, we got to seal this grout so the water doesn't get into the drywall." Oh yeah. And uh, and uh, but now they've got all of these uh, products like Hardy Backer and the and the Duroc and and these these and if you put a vapor barrier between the wall and those uh, those sub sub layers uh, that's that's impervious to to uh, water you should be able to go without sealing the grout if you've got a high-quality right. grout. 
Yeah. Where the chemicals, if you bleach it, it's going to come back to being bright white or whatever color it was. I, I totally agree. When you're putting drywall on the wall, and, and this was in the 70s, when I kind of entered the trades, this is what I came into, was drywall on the wall. You put some you know, latex waterproofing stuff, you let it dry, and then you come back and you use another water-based latex adhesive to stick this tile on the wall. Oh, you're toast already. I mean, drywall, whether it's moisture resistant or not, you know, you're that. So trying to seal the grout and keep the water out of the wall cavity. What we forgot is we're in St. Louis and the air already inside the wall cavity is loaded with 85 percent moisture, you know, relative humidity anyway. Right. So you cannot keep the wa- the moisture out of the wall. The moisture started in the wall, whether you seal your grout or not. And then, you know, so I- I'm tracking there with you. I like a cement-based cement, you know, hardy board, cement board. And if that's the case, then I like to let that wall breathe. Yep. Uh, you know, I like to let it dry, frankly. And that mm-hmm. sometimes means from the inside of the wall out. In which case yep. you don't seal it like you're at, you know, yeah, you're, you're, I, I'm tracking right there with you. But, you know, that you have to be alive in the tradesman. You have to keep your mind going to realize what the pieces are so that you don't screw this thing up, assemble, building this assembly, which is why, you know, all the building scientists talk about assembly. Well, it depends. You change this product, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a totally different answer on sealing right. the ground. Yeah, I'm tracking. Well, thanks a lot, Scott. Yeah, Jeff, uh, good question. Thanks. Um, you know, I, I like walls that breathe. Um, Mother mm-hmm. Nature likes walls that breathe. If if we think we can keep walls from not breathing by keeping water out or in in this part of the country, that's a fool's errand. <laughs> good, good deal. All right. Thanks oh, a lot. All right, Jeff. Bye-bye. Bye now. Look at that. Sorry, I get up on my stump just a little bit, but my golly, I have, I mean, people say, have you ever made a mistake? Everything I talk about here, I've messed up every one of these topics. Yeah, I'm your pre-disaster research department. I already messed this up for you. I can tell you how to stay out of trouble. Welcome back to the Helitech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show. Now, once again, here's your host, Scott Mosby on KMOX. All right, I promised a little bit of a spiel on how to interview a remodeling contract, and really it's about project management. So whether you realize it or not, if you're a consumer looking to have something done to your house, you're the chief project manager. You've got to get this thing figured out. What is it you want to do? How big do you want it to be? What uh, party can help you with it? Is something you're going to do it yourself? Is there part of it you can do yourself? Do you outsource the whole thing? How complex is it? Is it too big a project to do any part yourself? All of that, those are, so that's just on the consumer's end. Now, think about this. There are two ways to go about um, designing or envisioning a project. And you hear so many buzzwords about shared vision. What are we trying to gain and what are we trying to achieve? You know, it's kind of like, all right, team, we're going to go for a touchdown. We're going to have an aerial attack, so we're going to pass the ball. You know, that's a lot different than grind it out on the ground. We're just going to hand off the ball and just slam into the next guy, work our way up the field. As it relates to a construction project, design matters. Uh, what my father learned back at the inception of this company was that good design makes for a good project. Good teamwork between design and constructors makes an exceptional project. When you bring the client into that and you have a three-legged stool where the client is able to lobby and communicate the want, 
the contractor is able to understand and the designer and suppliers are able to like make that all meld together into the end result goal, that's a good deal. Now, and as how it sounds, um, I want a 20 by 20 room addition uh, sticking out of my house over there. That's an object or subject-based goal, and it's very easy for anybody to build that thing. Now, there's the other way. I want to come home from work, and I want to sit down in a cushy chair, and I don't want the sun in my eyes. I'm going to turn on the TV, and I want to watch the news. And I'm probably going to have a, a, a cold glass of water and sit there and watch the news, and I don't really want to be bothered. Oh, okay. Well, that's different than asking for a 20 by 20. It's like, well, who else would come into that room? What would happen at 8 o'clock at night? How would that room be used during the day? So the whole idea is, what is it you're trying to achieve? Which is a very different statement than what is it you're trying to build? We need more room. You may be able to solve that by pulling out a wall inside the existing space and connecting rooms into a larger shared space. That may be different than I need more room, so I want a room addition. So anyway, I'm just kind of uh, eliciting the types of thoughts because a good consumer, uh, a good client in our world knows kind of what they're trying to achieve, not really attached to how they go about it. They may know, they may have done the homework, but, you know, starting to figure out, it's like, I need more space. I've got kids and four generations that come here for holidays and, you know, we watch the grandkids two days a week and we're doing homework and all that. Those are ways, and, and that is why design has to be part of this conversation, going straight to the execution or construction of it. You skip right past some of those things, and, and frankly, you can drive down the street and you know professionally designed projects, and you know those that are not. You know, it's just easy. You can see it from the street. At least I can. The, the, those that are experienced do. So anyway, it, it just depends what you're after, and make sure you're doing your homework of what exactly am I trying to achieve? I want a new front porch. Great. What are you going to do there? Well, I just want a new front porch. Are you going to put any pots out there? Oh, I'm a, I'm a great gardener. I'm going to have two or three pots out there, you know, and I'm. what are you going to plant out there? Oh, do you want a covered roof? Uh, yeah, I want to get an in, in and out during the winter, so I want to, you know, I want a covered roof on that. Oh, really? Uh, who are the guests that will come through that, uh, you know, ages and mobile, all that. So just keep in mind, there are two different ways to ask for um, consumer requests. One is, here's where I'm going and this is what I want to have when I get done. And the other is being specific about, I want a room addition here. That doesn't necessarily get you to the other end of the project. So how you communicate uh, really, um, and there are companies that get, I want this room addition here, they're perfect for that, and they, and they don't understand the other side of it. And frankly, on the other side of it, I want to experience sit-down. They can do the room addition, but it's outside of their language. So, you know, it really, uh, how do you hold them accountable and to what? All right, enough of that. Let's see what's cooking here and go to Alan. Hey, Alan Scott here. How you doing, my friend? Alan's here, and I've got a, another deck issue. Okay. I've got a 
seven-year-old's 10-by-36-foot cedar deck on the back of my house. It faces west, so it gets sun in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And I really haven't taken good care of it. So it's got mold. It's stained. I'm not too concerned about the color. But what can I do to preserve the cedar and make it functional again? Well, Alan, that's where I got into that deck stripping. That's where you need an algicide, and you really need to, uh, you know, really... Deep clean that deck. Uh, probably pressure wash. Uh, it will include an oxalic acid and kind of a, um, you know, like a brightener almost. Um, uh, we use it in, we use crystalline non-bleach bleach in our laundry. Those things are things we use on decks for deep cleaning. Uh, that deck can be professionally clean. You can get rid of all that mold and mildew stuff, and then you have to let it dry. And that, you know, when you have an older deck like that, then you have to really hit it with a good sealer. And the type of sealer that will accept another coat in three years and then another coat after that. Some sealers look, you know, what's the best sealer? Well, this is the best sealer. Well, how do you measure it? Well, it it's color fast, doesn't let a moisture in, da 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 It's like, great. How does it recoat? Oh, you can't. Oh. So this is it. So I put this on three years later, I have to tear down my deck or change the deck. That's a, so that's the right thought uh, in terms of just choosing a sealer that can be reapplied and recoded, clean the deck. But your big deal to me, Alan, is how do I properly reverse time and scrubby dutch this thing back to, you know, a really clean, uh, unmildewed wood? Does that help you with your track there? Are you there, Alan? Anyway, so anyway, my my thing is finding somebody who's very good with uh, cleaning decks and sealing decks. And this is the thing. If you separate the cleaning of the deck from the sealing of the deck, the chemicals used to strip and clean the deck may not get along with contractor B who puts the sealer on. Big, big deal. How you clean and prep and dry that deck and sometimes even neutralize the pH on it if you have to really, you know, do a nasty stripper on it then you have to know what the product that gets applied on the second stage or else you're designing and building, you're separating those two steps and they may not get along. So some one company to do that for you where you can just say, I want this deck cleaned and ready to go and a good quality sealer and I need it to be recodable in the next three years because that's about what it's going to last. That would be the right way to go about it there, Alan. Scott Mosby, Home Improvement, KMOX. Thanks for standing on. We will be up and live here in a few more minutes. Welcome back to the Helitech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show. Now, once again, here's your host, Scott Mosby on KMOX. All right, the educational opportunities remain open to you. Next weekend, there is a seminar, and this is at the MAC, or it's actually at the Lodge of De Pairs next September 8th. That's next Saturday, 1030 in the morning, Lodge of De Pairs. The topic, custom bathroom. Yeah, that means anything you want. What's available? What can be done? What kind of products? What's the process like? Where do I start? What is the uh, topic? What is the price range? Custom bathrooms. You can check out more at callmosby.com, C-A-L-L-M-O-S-B-Y. It's part of the Mosby Outreach. We just feel the responsibility to tell people how stuff is and, you know, how it works and how it doesn't work. Uh, So you can check that out. Website, Call Mosby. This is next Saturday, 1030 a.m., Lodge of De Pairs. Uh, And next, let's see what's cooking here with my friend Sean. Hey, Hey, Sean. Sean. Good Good morning. morning. How can I help? Yes, sir. I have a question for you. Um, 
I had built a home for my brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. When we did the foundation around the garage, the contractor had used a three-foot bucket uh, on a track hoe to dig the footings. Okay. And he kept the excess to the outside of the foundation, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so when we poured the driveway, uh, we backfilled in six-inch lists and used a jumping jack to compact the dirt. Uh-huh. But I pinned the cement to his foundation to span that with, like, four-foot pins every two to three foot across his driveway. Sure. And what had happened was that winter, um, and we had a wire mesh in the driveway itself, that winter, I guess, between the freezing and falling, uh, the driveway had lifted, and the driveway cracked all the way across uh, basically where the rebar ended. So we had, like, a you know four foot away from the foundation. It cracked all the way across. Yeah. And I was curious, do you think that it would have been better to run that rebar the entire distance? And the other question is, I've had people tell me, don't pin the concrete, just let it float. I just kind of wanted your thoughts on that. Well, here's what happened. You had uh, you tried to make the subgrade perfectly compact. Um, that means you use the fines or minus, but there was no water removal ability. So the water gets underneath that slab in that overdig, you know, the foot and a half or foot or whatever's left. Uh, but that the whole non-pinning, you have to let something move somewhere, whether you pin it to the foundation or don't pin it to the slab adjacent. Somehow that expanding, lifting chunk of water underneath that slab is going to lift, expand, and when it freezes, it lifts and comes up. And, you know, something's got to give. So at the weakest point right at the end of your rebar, pins that's where it went so there are uh you know there's the conversation for not pinning your concrete i personally wouldn't have pinned it but rested it on the the sill of the foundation so that it could come up but not down you follow what i mean so you're pretty much building a parking garage or bush stadium out of post-tension concrete you're reinforcing the concrete so that it doesn't crack down but when mother nature wants to lift it up instead of pinning it from going down or up you just sit it on a shelf maybe uh you know bolt a uh, uh, an angle iron onto the concrete if you don't have a shelf there but allow concrete always to come up if she doesn't she's going to tear some stuff up when she does Absolutely. And I have one other thing to add to that. Like a, a friend of mine's father, uh, he had put Nova brick on in his garage. Mm-hmm. And uh, when he did that, he only went about maybe, I think, a half inch to an inch above the cement. And he had just the opposite problem where his wasn't pinned, but then whenever it froze, it lifted up. And it actually uh, kind of bubbled that Nova brick on the bottom side. So you recommend, uh, sorry, your recommendation to keep that cement I mean, should you actually pour that an inch or two lower than what your floor is? Absolutely. Yeah. How much is enough? Uh, so uh, uh, building the concrete and that veneer brick that just gets hung on the side of that frame wall, that's not the problem. The problem was he didn't leave enough room for the concrete to come up. And in deep, deep, deep winters, everybody's garage, their overhead door starts coming down. It hits that slab that's now lifted up and it, it, in, it, it feels like something's in the way and it reverses and goes up. So there's a ton of garage doors that uh, hit the auto reverse for safety reason because that freezing slab you know at, at zero degrees for you know a week brings that slab up so on that nova brick which is just you know it's an exterior cladding system there just wasn't enough room for the concrete and mother nature to move as much as she wanted to that's all 
gotcha. Okay, well, I really appreciate the information. Yeah, yeah Sean, Sean, thank you. you. All right, take care. Bye. Bye. And it's, it's not an issue of, you know, when something doesn't work, it doesn't mean you, you didn't have the right answer. You may not have had the right tolerances. Uh, we see that all the time. A good example is on gutter downspouts. Uh, we have the conversation, you know, as designers, well, we want to put gutters here. We want to put gutters here. We want to put, oh, I don't want to see a gutter. I don't want to see a downspout there. Well, we need downspouts here. and down, I mean, we've got great gutters, but we need to get the water out of the gutters. We need downspouts. No, no, I don't want water here. Oh, well, we've got to get the water out of the gutters or else it'll freeze back up and cause ice damming. You know, so again, that conversation of uh, having the right answer and the right amount of that in the right place, that's what matters. Right here on K2.